Well, good morning, Life Point Church. Happy New Year. So good to see you all here. Thank you to those of you joining us online as well. Uh, for those of you I haven't met, my name is Brad Linder, and I'm on staff here at Life Point Church. And first off, I just want to say thank you for all of you who came out to our Christmas services. Uh, what an incredible, yeah, we can give a hand for that. Uh, what an incredible time celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it was it just kind of took my breath away. It was, it was pretty amazing. For some of you, this was your, that was your first time at LifePoint Church. And for others of you, that may have been your first time at church. And if that's you, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. And I hope that you already feel like you're part of the LifePoint family. For those of you who consider LifePoint home, uh, you consider LifePoint home, uh, I have said this before, uh, but I, I know that... God is in all places at all times. But when a community of faith comes together to worship God, it feels like there's more of him in the room. And Christmas for me was just another example of that. I want to encourage you that what we're doing here together is meaningful and important. I also want to thank you so much for wearing your masks. Uh, I have to admit, when I saw the email come through about the new mask mandate, uh, I was pretty bummed out. Um, actually, I texted Joe and I said it felt kind of like a kick in the pants. Uh, but it, it just felt like we were starting the year off with a loss. I don't mind wearing the mask, but it feels like we had come so far and then we're starting the year off with another loss. I don't know if you've seen the, money, uh, the movie Moneyball, uh, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and many others, uh, but there's a scene in the movie where the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, his name is Billy Bean, he's talking to a couple of his players and he says, I hate losing. I hate it. I hate losing even more than I want to win. And for me, I feel the same way. I hate losing. I hate losing more than I love winning. And, and, and this year with the, the surge of COVID cases and the just kind of growing polarization in our country, it's really hard to see the wins. I mean, we got a new Adele album, but other than that, it's really hard to see the wins. And because uh, of the losses that we've uh, suffered over the past couple of years, for a lot of us, the magic of New Year's has been taken away. This is the time of year when we start making resolutions or we start implementing resolutions. Uh, these are our plans for how we're going to improve this next year. But because of all the losses that we've suffered, making resolutions for a lot of us can seem a bit pointless. There's one woman who took to Twitter and she's protesting New Year's resolutions. She, she says, no New Year's resolutions. It is time for the circumstances to improve. It's the circumstances turn to improve. And 187,000 people on Twitter said, amen. There is this growing sense of like, what is the point of making resolutions until my circumstances change? Even under ideal circumstances, when everything is smooth sailing, there isn't always certainty that our plans are going to actually lead to improvement. But especially over the last couple of years when 
there seems to be so much uncertainty around us. Success feels impossible until something about our circumstances change. And that's why I think the book of Proverbs in the Bible is a perfect way to start the new year. Especially this new year when there's so much uncertainty, uh, because the book of Proverbs is all about success. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd love for you to open up with me to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to dive in there. Uh, I just encourage you to open it up so you can follow along as we go through the scripture this morning. But Proverbs, uh, Proverbs is primarily written by King Solomon, who is considered still to this day after uh, 3,000 years after his life and death, uh, he is still considered one of the wisest people who ever lived. In the introductory chapters of Proverbs, Solomon is addressing his sons. Essentially, the book of Proverbs is Solomon passing on the wisdom that he has received from God onto the next generation. In Proverbs, Solomon writes a lot about the value of wisdom. And that word wisdom simply means skill at living. Ultimately, Solomon's goal in the book of Proverbs is to help his readers live successful lives. According to Solomon, wisdom or successful living is a treasure that's more valuable than gold or silver. And I'd like to suggest uh, this morning that in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is providing us with a treasure map of sorts. He's helping us find our way to success. So this morning, what I'd like to do is identify the treasure that Solomon is identifying for us. Like, how does he measure success? And then I want to provide one way in which you and I can continue reading this map after our time together this morning. But we'll start in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. There's a lot going on in these 10 verses, and we could spend a lot of time digging into each of those things. But what I'm interested in for our purposes and the limited amount of time that we have together uh, is the pattern that these verses have in common. There's a pattern here if you take the time to discover it. Here in the beginning of chapter 3, we find a series of conditional statements. A conditional statement predicts the outcome of a hypothetical situation. And conditional statements follow this pattern. If X, then Y. So if X happens, then Y will happen. And we see this pattern repeated throughout the Proverbs, and we see it throughout the Bible as well. And just using the first 10 verses of chapter 3 as an example, we find several of these conditional statements. And I've paraphrased them so we could see the, the pattern more clearly, but the meaning is intact. 
verses 1 and 2. If you remember my teaching, then you will live a long, peaceful life. Verses 3 and 4. If you are loving and faithful, then you will find favor and success. If you acknowledge God in all your ways, then he will make your paths straight. If you honor the Lord with your wealth, then your barns will be filled with plenty. And in in these statements, we might conclude that the outcome of being faithful and loving, of fearing the Lord and honoring him with our wealth, will be favorable circumstances. I mean, all those things sound pretty good. We might think if we just meet all of the conditions, we'll be happier, healthier, and wealthier than we could have ever imagined. And to some extent, I think that that's true. However, many of us know from experience that life doesn't always follow this neat and tidy order. We can read our Bibles, pray, go to church, but we still experience obstacles and difficulty in our lives. We can honor the Lord with our wealth and still have empty barns. I don't know about you, but my wife and I give regularly, and we don't have a single barn. We, we, we don't even have plenty to fill it with if we had a barn. I find that for one reason or another, a, a lot of people read these conditional statements. A lot of people enter into the Bible uh, and see a lot of these things as promises from God. And when it feels like we've met all the conditions and our circumstances still haven't improved, I think it's so easy to become angry at God. Or we become disillusioned. We begin to think that, okay, I've followed all the conditions, and if God hasn't followed through the way that I expected him to, then God himself must not be true. Have you ever been angry with God because he didn't come through for you the way you expected him to? Maybe you have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to change something about your circumstances, and still nothing happens. Maybe you've been praying to meet your spouse, but everyone you meet turns out to be kind of a turd. It's rough out there, folks. Maybe you have honored the Lord with your wealth, but that promotion or that job that you've been looking for still hasn't come. And maybe you've been faithful, you've acknowledged God in all your ways, but the physical or emotional healing that you've been longing for still hasn't come. In his book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, what an amazing title, and it's a phenomenal book. Uh, Pete Gregg, the author, he has a chapter on unanswered prayer, and it's phenomenal. If you only read that chapter, it's worth the book. But in this chapter on unanswered prayer, Gregg shares the story of a Baltimore native named Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know her name. Some of you may even know her story. For those of you who don't, uh, when Johnny was was 17 years old, she and her sister went swimming in the Chesapeake Bay. But when she dove into the water, she misjudged how shallow it was, and she tragically broke her spine. As Greg tells her story in his book, After the Accident, Johnny cried out to God with complete faith for healing, She tells Greg, I I followed every scriptural injunction. I was anointed with oil. I went to the elders. I confessed sin. I would call my friends up on the telephone and insist, hey, the next time you're going to see me, I'm going to be on my feet. Have faith with me. Believe in me. 
Johnny would attend prayer meetings and hear testimony from other people about how God had miraculously healed them as she waited for her turn for a miracle. And despite her prayers and her faith for healing, Johnny has been paralyzed from the shoulders down since 1967. As time went on and her prayers went unanswered, Johnny wrestled with depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubt. You could argue that Johnny met every requirement for a miracle. And even though your circumstances may look vastly different than Johnny's, even though my circumstances look vastly different than Johnny's, maybe there's been a time in your life when you've wondered, what in the world is God waiting for? How do we make sense of conditional statements like this? We might conclude that we haven't met all the conditions that lead to success. I know a lot of believers who carry a heavy weight of shame because they feel like they haven't prayed enough or gone to church enough or read their Bibles enough or listened to enough Lauren Daigle. There is just this weight that we carry around, like God's just waiting for us to check all the boxes. And that's simply not true. Uh, the other conclusion that I see people make is, is that uh, there are a lot of people I know that are non-believers because uh, they feel like God has failed them. They've given up on God because they feel like God has given up on them. But I think the most accurate conclusion to see is that these aren't promises at all. It's important to know that the Proverbs aren't law, they're wisdom. The Proverbs aren't promises, but probabilities. The conditional statements in Proverbs describe the most likely outcome of being faithful and loving and generous, but not the only outcome. The Proverbs provide for us a general rule for how life operates, but the Proverbs don't give us all the exceptions to that rule. The the Bible is meant to be understood as a unified story. It all fits together. And when you read the Bible as a unified story, when you read books like Job, Ecclesiastes, and the Gospels, you see a description of the world that is not ruled by simple cause and effect. Just because one thing happens doesn't mean another thing will happen. Instead, the Bible takes seriously what science is catching up to, that the world is made up of a complex web of causes that lead to an almost infinite possibility of effects. To put it simply, the causes of our circumstances, they are much more nuanced. They're much less certain and controllable than we would like to believe. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't offer any certainty. Solomon offers a high degree of certainty for success, but Solomon defines success as more than just what's going on externally. It's more than just our circumstances. There's another pattern that we find throughout the Proverbs that illustrates Solomon's measure of success and that follows this pattern. Uh, Better is X than Y. And we find this pattern repeated some 19 times throughout the Proverbs. Here's a sample of verses that follow this pattern. Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. 
16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. In Proverbs 19.22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and the ladies of life point said amen, and a poor man is better than a liar. What, what Solomon does in this pattern is show his readers how little he values external circumstances compared to the quality of their character. It is better to fear the Lord, to be steadfast in love, and to be people of integrity who seek justice even at the cost of our external success. Good things don't always happen to good people, but Solomon would argue that being good people is its own reward. In 1998, Cardinals first baseman Mark McGuire broke the single-season home run record, racking up an astonishing 70 home runs. I know I'm hitting you with a lot of sports references today. This was even more remarkable, uh, considering that he was 35 years old when he set this record. Most baseball players retire before the age of 30, so in baseball years, he was quite an old man. But for many people, there is an asterisk next to his amazing record, because later, he admitted to using steroids, which forever blemished his incredible achievement. And it's almost as if Solomon is warning his readers, don't let there be an asterisk next to your life. You can have all the favorable circumstances in the world, but at what cost? In Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus asks, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Like Billy Bean, I hate losing more than I love winning. But the question is, what game am I really playing? Or maybe the more fitting question for today is, what's the treasure I'm really seeking? Jesus, when giving his Sermon on the Mount, said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have a certain amount of control when it comes to our circumstances. When we invest our money, we're likely to make more money. If we exercise, take vitamins, and eat healthy, we're likely to live longer. But those favorable, uh, those favorable circumstances aren't guaranteed. There are tons of external factors like the global economy and our genetics, just to name a few, that play a huge role in determining our circumstances. But there is a treasure that cannot be destroyed, a treasure that endures no matter what around us changes. Viktor Frankl, in his memoir about surviving the Nazi concentration camps, writes, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He goes on to write, it is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. Let me read that again. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful 
and purposeful. Now, I would summarize Frankel's statement and summarize Solomon's wisdom that he provides uh, for us throughout the Proverbs this way. True success is measured by our character, not our circumstances. Our true success is measured by our character, not our circumstances. Our character is the treasure that moths and rust cannot destroy. Our character is the treasure no thief can break in and steal. True success isn't measured by how well we have controlled the world around us, but how well we have controlled ourselves. True success in life isn't measured by fame or fortune, but by our capacity for love, honesty, integrity, humility, self-sacrifice, and generosity, just to name a few. These are the treasures that Solomon is pointing us to in the book of Proverbs. The only thing that we have left to do is to follow the map that he's given us. Tomorrow, like Mike said, we'll be releasing a 14-day reading plan on the book of Proverbs. Uh, Each day of the reading plan covers a different topic from the book and includes a short devotional to help you reflect on the scripture as well as a few questions to help you apply the wisdom that we find in Proverbs. My hope is that by the end of the reading plan, you will have found a wealth of treasure to carry into the new year. No matter what this new year looks like, I hope that you find a wealth of treasure to carry into it. And I hope that you'll return to the book of Proverbs again and again as you embark daily on this quest for character. I would like to add one disclaimer before we close This treasure hunt that we're on, our quest for character, it takes time. We don't develop character overnight. We must be patient and graceful with ourselves. And we don't build character so that God will love us us more. Jesus was sent to die for our sins by our Heavenly Father because he, he loves us just as we are. If we can't be certain of anything else, we can be certain that that God loves us just as we are. But our quest for character is because God desires for us a life made rich by an abundance of character. I want to leave you with a final word of encouragement before the worship team comes back out. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, her faith was shaken after her accident, but it was not lost. Uh, Since her accident, Johnny has written dozens of books which have influenced millions of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. She has been a leading voice in advocating for others with disabilities. God has used her circumstances to help others feel seen and known and loved for who they are, not despite who they are. And in her book, A Place of Healing, she writes this beautiful statement. God has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. The quest for character will come with successes and setbacks. This new year will bring its own joys and its own pains. But through it all, whatever this new year holds, I pray, I pray that you all feel held ever closer each day by our Heavenly Father's loving embrace. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us just as we are. I'm so thankful that we don't have to work or earn or prove your love, that you love us just as we come to you. But God, I thank you for your wisdom that you have passed down, that you've given to us through Proverbs. And I pray that our lives would be made rich as we partner with you in developing uh, our treasure, our character, and that each day you would make our lives richer and richer as we become more loving and more patient and more kind and more generous. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your generous grace in our lives. Thank you that every time we fall, you pick us up. And even when we don't understand what's going on around us, that you hold us closely. Would you continue to give us an ever-growing awareness of your presence in our lives? Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.